0: 704 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Happy New Year, everybody. First show of 2023 for the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. I mentioned it a couple times. My colleague, my co host, Jason Bruff, still under the weather from the holidays. But rest assured, folks, he is on the mend, on his way back. He will hopefully be in the chair in the not too distant future. But for now, it's just me, Mike Halford, flying solo. I do have the dogs with me Andy Cole, A Dog. Hi, A Dog. Hello. And Greg Balak, a.k.a. Laddie. What up, Laddie? Hi, guys. How's, how's the first hour back in the books? Everyone feeling good? I miss Bruff.
1: I miss him. Yeah,
2: fair All enough. I, say. I
0: don't. All <laughs> right. Alfred and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of accurate dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari accurate dealer today. Hour two of the program. Uh, Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders, is going to join us in a minute to kick off Hour Two. Uh, hour Two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's. Premier Metal Recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Uh, For those that were watching Monday Night Football yesterday and maybe aren't up to speed with everything that has transpired in the aftermath, uh, there was a DeMar Hamlin update issued by the Buffalo Bills late last night, actually very early in the morning Eastern time. The Bills posted via their Twitter account that Hamlin suffered a cardiac arrest following a hit versus the Bengals in Monday Night Football, very early in Monday Night Football last night. Uh, Hamlin's heartbeat was restored on the field, and he was then transferred to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center for further testing and treatment. Uh, he is currently sedated and is listed in critical but stable condition. There were reports that he was intubated at the hospital and is uh, currently with assisted breathing at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. Uh, It was an extremely distressing thing to watch play out in real time, uh, the likes of which, quite frankly, in my 43 years on the planet and multiple years watching sports as often as I do, I've just never seen anything like it before. Uh, Very jarring, and everyone is trying to, one, react to this in real time, and two, Understand the gravity of the situation that goes well beyond the football field and very much into the human element. And then two, inevitably, the questions are what comes next, what happens next uh, for both Hamlin and everyone else involved in the situation. Joining us now in light of all that, as I set the stage for our next guest, Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders, a presentation of the Clayton Public House here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well. Happy New Year. And you're right, a harrowing situation in real time and a situation
3: now where I, I'm frantically, you know, texting, scrolling, refreshing, trying to find out more information about about the young man Hamlin and also more information about this game and how the NFL is going to proceed. And as of now, we don't have anything. I think everyone's taking a beat right now. And reassessing,
0: yeah, and I, you know I've been keeping an eye as well, and there hasn't been any statement from the NFL or the NFLPA I know that Troy Vincent made a statement publicly yesterday yes. saying that first and foremost everyone's focus his Roger Goodell's everyone else involved at the highest executive levels in the league was focused on one thing, and that was the health of Demar Hamlin watching it play out in real time, Mike I think was um it was one of those things where with social media being as as prevalent, and let's not forget this yeah. game being as ballyhooed as it was, um, there was a lot of eyeballs on this without question. Yep. And then I understand that in the immediate aftermath, ESPN making judgment and snap decisions in real time, playing the replay a couple times of watching yeah. Hamlin collapse, came under scrutiny. But I do think that at the end of the day, uh, there deserves to be some plaudits and kudos to the coverage of it because p- people quickly realized just how serious and how grave this situation was, and it quickly pivoted to how are we going to do right by Damar Hamlin and everyone involved in what was, let's be honest, an unprecedented situation.
3: Yeah, I am never a big fan of criticizing the real-time flow of things. Like, you know, three minutes after something happens, the producer is still showing a root re- replay, guessing based on what... The information they have, and then you know we spend an hour on Twitter, like like piling on them. Uh, like, you are history's greatest monster for showing that, or you're great history's greatest monster for not immediately postponing the game, and and, and we're all pearl clutching and and you know uh, throwing daggers at them. And this doesn't help the situation at all. It doesn't doesn't make anyone better. Doesn't make anyone healthier. And, and everyone's trying to proceed with the information they have. I'm not I'm not a huge fan of that uh, sort of coverage, let's call it that. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're right, the, the ESPN people tried to make a decision to say let's be respectful of what's going on once we realize what's happening. The NFL, which has a lot of irons to fire, a lot, a lot of things in play as they make their decisions, slowly comes around to realizing they have to suspend this game and send everybody home, and uh, you know, ultimately, you, you know, you look at things at you know, 9 a.m. the next day, whatever, everyone did the right thing by the players involved, by, by the families, by, by, the, by the, the victim of this illness, et cetera. Everyone eventually came to the right decision, and I, and I hate replaying it minute by minute and saying, well, at this point, you should have done this. We don't know. We don't have to make these decisions. We don't have to make these calls.
0: Right. Now, we've already mentioned this once, but just to reiterate for the listeners that might be looking for any sort of update, there is none with regards to the plight and state of this football game. I think adding to the complexities of this is that uh, it's week 17. There's only one week of regular season play remaining before the playoffs. Also, there's no real blueprint to go on here because the game was started. It was played about halfway through the first quarter. Uh, I was looking last night to try and see if there was any precedent or previous example of what the NFL could draw. And I really came up blank. I don't know if you came up with anything different. No,
3: if you, I know Mike Florio Pro Football Talks talking about you know, 9-11. 9-11 happened in September. The league suspended right. a week and then pushed the game to the end. There were weeks and months to do things like travel schedules, okay, and uh, you're know, updating the situation for season ticket holders and things like that. We, we had some COVID examples that were sort of catch as catch can along the way. Uh, but I don't think those are particularly uh, uh, useful examples as well. You right. know, it was like, well, move things back a day, move things back a week, catch as catch can. It wasn't this. It wasn't there's one week left, etc. The most logical way to proceed right now is to call the game a non-game and go by winning percentages moving forward, right. and it, it and it's it, that's the most level playing field for the Bengals, for the Bills, for the Chiefs who are impacted by this. And it's simply a matter of, you know, life goes on and we have to adjust. That's the most logical thing. I know there's talk about, well, well, you know, push everything back a week. You're talking about pushing playoff games back a week. You're talking about travel schedules. You're talking about things as as simple as, you know, getting the stadium uh, employees in, you know, on short notice or telling them, you know, you're not coming in on short notice, but you're going to come in on, you know, February 3rd or however you'd want to play that. It's not really feasible this late in the game. And it's a lot of tumult. Uh, To do in the name of, oh, well, you know, home field advantage was impacted for these two teams, and therefore you have to jump Broncos employees. You have to jump, you know, uh,
0: Panthers employees. It's not necessarily a, a logical way to proceed. Speaking to Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, I don't want to use the Demar Hamlin situation as a segue, but no. um, it's hard not to talk about scheduling and not talk about what is going to happen in Week 18. We know this now with the Seattle Seahawks, the Green Bay Packers, and the Detroit Lions. So, for those of you that are unaware, all those teams are still alive, very much alive in the playoff chase. In the NFC, the kicker is that the Seahawks are going to play the Rams during the day on Sunday, which is a must win for the Seahawks. The thing is, if the Seahawks win that game, that means the Lions are eliminated from playoff contention. Now, the kicker is that the Lions are playing Sunday night football against the Packers. Mm-hmm. And the Seahawks need the <laughs> the Lions to beat the Packers <laughs> in that game. So a lot of Seahawks fans are, I think, somewhat justly irate that all these mm-hmm. games aren't being played at the same time and that you're stacking the deck unfairly should the Seahawks beat the Rams. Uh, is it unfair that the Lions-Packers game got flexed into Sunday night football while the Seahawks are playing during the day? See, I don't
3: feel it was necessary. The NFL decided, hey, the Titans versus Jaguars, which is a win and get in situation, because those are tiny media markets yeah. small fan bases they're going to put that on saturday night so they hedge their bets a little bit saturday night's not as big a window uh, they could they put that game in there uh, when, I, I, you know, I don't know, you can put the Eagles and Giants in there. The Eagles win and they're in. That, that there's a lot of fans' eyeballs on that. So they put Jaguars, Titans in that one TV window. And then in the name of getting that huge national Packers yeah. fan base, I mean, they have national and international fans for decades, going back to Brett Favre. In the name of that, they put themselves in a situation where, again, the Seahawks can win and the Seahawks' victory uh, celebration is tarnished by, oh, no, now we have to hope that the, the, the Lions don't, bash everybody, the Lions don't go out there unmotivated because they're eliminated. Now, the wild card in this is people are saying, well, you know, Dan Campbell believes in biting kneecaps and chewing ankles, and he's going to go out there and play the win. Yeah, he does, but they know what happens. You can't can't necessarily say that maybe a player like Jamison Williams coming off an injury, oh, we're going to go out there and play the win with Jamison Williams when, if we just rest him, we have him for 2023. That's one wild card. Another wild card where Dan Campbell is, not only going to, are we going to play a win, but with nothing to lose, we're going to call fake punts every time. Right. Yeah? Yeah. Dan Campbell could do something like that. I don't know, I'll triple every triple reverse in the playbook <laughs> just to mess with the Packers because we have nothing else to do. And, and that doesn't necessarily impact the Seahawks. Bad situation and a little bit of sort of a money-based situation by the, by the uh, NFL to get the most eyeballs. Hey, you're the NFL. You get the most eyeballs no matter what. Put the best possible game on Sunday night instead.
0: Uh, how stunning is it that we are um, facing a playoff field in the NFC that is going to feature Tom Brady? And I'm going to say it, most likely Aaron Rodgers.
3: Yes, yeah, so, and it's something I'm writing about for, for this week. You know, They're the boogeymen. They're the boogeymen right now, especially Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. You can look at this team and say it's not a good team. They should not be in the playoffs. They played in a terrible division. They've got all these fourth-quarter comebacks against these horrible opponents. Fourth-quarter comeback against the Cardinals. You shouldn't need a fourth quarter comeback against the Cardinals. You shouldn't need one against the Rams. And yet it's Tom Brady and those are fourth quarter comebacks. And you look at it and it's, it's like, you, it's a stress factor for the teams they face in the first round. And Rogers is a little different because they're playing really good football right now. And and there's a chance that they get in on that. And if you look at the AFC, you've got the Patriots sitting there it's like, that's not a very good team. Oh, do you want to face Bill Belichick in the fourth quarter and his defense, even if you're winning you know, 10-6 to 6 in that game? So there's a lot of that sort of boogeyman factor going around. As a fan, I'd rather see the Seahawks. I'd rather see the Lions. I would rather see the Panthers or something goofy like that than these teams. But as, as a casual fan, I think fans want to see these guys, if you're not like a wafer a of the NFL, and as an opponent, you do not want to see these legendary coaches and quarterbacks yet again in the postseason.
0: Who's a more scary first-round opponent? Is it Rodgers and the Packers, Brady and the Bucks, or is it neither?
3: It's a little bit of neither, and it's a, it depends on who you are. You know, you're the Minnesota Vikings. You're scared of everybody. Sure. You, you are scared of anybody. If you're the San Francisco 49ers, like, we've beaten those teams. We're 49 We need the Packers in the playoffs every year. We, we do it for breakfast is what we do. And, and we had the, the third string quarterback. We had the rookie out there and we were able to take it. So I, I would say it's the Packers really are the scarier team because again, their offense is playing better than they did early in the season. Their defense is better. They're healthier. Their offensive line, which has hurt all year, was healthier. Now they've got a great kick returner coming around. They've got all these factors that make them scary. The the Buccaneers, you see them score six points at halftime every single week. If you're a playoff team, you say, we should be able to take care of that, get up to 21, 24 points against this good defense, and take the Brady magic out of the equation.
0: We're speaking to Mike Tanier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, we will shift quickly to the AFC. There's so much to be decided uh, heading into Week 18. You mentioned the AFC South, and then there's all these teams. I think like half the AFC is at 8-8 eight and eight right now. It's the Patriots, the Dolphins. <laughs> the, somehow the Steelers are still alive, uh, and then you meant the Jags are in there as well. So how do you see this shaking out? Let's just go with the wildcard teams. If you had to pick right now, who are the wildcard teams going to be uh, in the AFC after Week 18 is all said and done?
3: And this is the part where unfortunately Monday night's game where we don't want to use as a segue or a talking point, Yeah, but it segues into this because the bills might've been clinched. Yeah. But now the bills may have something to play for in in, in this uh, upcoming week, which means they should trounce the Patriots and then potentially knock them out of the playoffs. Or, I mean, it's still potential that the bills play tonight or something or play Wednesday, whatever. and, And that this is impacts things there. So it's, it's hard to say along the way. I'll say one thing with certainty. I feel pretty comfortable that the Jaguars will win. They will beat the Titans on uh, Saturday night. They will win the AFC South. They will take themselves out of the equation and put, the, put that three-way of the Dolphins and, and Steelers and Patriots in play. And, you know, We talked about who, who do, who's scarier, Rodgers or Buccaneers. You know who's really scary? Trevor Lawrence and the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars right now because during this winning streak, they beat the Ravens who are playing for playoff seating. They beat the Cowboys, who were playing for playoff seating. They beat the Titans, who were on top of the division at that point, and needed a win to kind of seal things up. The Jaguars are the team that's out there beating the good teams in December, in January. That's, that's the team that I'd be worried about coming into an AFC postseason chase.
0: Mike, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again uh, next Monday. Absolutely. Hope everybody's feeling better up there, and happy new year. You too as well. Thanks, Mike. Happy New Year. That's Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Again, just so we make sure that if we're repetitive, I apologize, but uh, the events that unfolded on the field, Monday Night Football between the Bengals and the Bills, were pretty shocking and grave and harrowing. And I don't know how many people overnight were able to get up to speed with the updates regarding the health of Damar Hamlin. The Buffalo Bills safety who suffered cardiac arrest on the field last night was resuscitated and then taken to local area hospital in Cincinnati where he's listed in stable, critical condition. Uh, So I will again offer another update. Late last night, about 10 to 11 our time, so 2 o'clock in the morning Eastern, the Buffalo Bills uh, did offer an update confirming that yes, Hamlin did suffer cardiac arrest following a hit in the game versus the Bengals. They did confirm that his heartbeat was restored on the field. Uh, You saw medical staff in Cincinnati doing chest compressions, CPR, etc. Hamlin was then transferred to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center for further testing and treatment. Uh, There is a report that he was intubated while at the UFC Medical Center. He's currently sedated. This is as of last night and once again listed in critical conditions. So, I want to make sure that if you did not hear the update, you have heard it. And we are trying to monitor as best as possible with very few updates going forward. Uh, there are some questions moving forward now that it is Tuesday morning, 7 20. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, I want to play some audio from this morning uh, from CNN. This is Bomani Jones, uh, previously of ESPN, uh, his own podcast. Uh, a very seasoned and veteran sports journalist and writer and author, talking about what happened yesterday and the next steps. Where do things go from here? There's a lot of people are asking, what does uh, the NFL, the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Buffalo Bills do now? Uh, here is Bomani Jones from this morning on CNN talking about the aftermath of the DeMar Hamlin incident and then what happens next for all parties involved from a football perspective.
4: I don't think this game is going to be played because I don't think logistically it's really going to be possible for this to be played. Like, you can't decide, okay, we're going to play the game on Wednesday and then ask these dudes to come out here and play again on Sunday just because of the physical wear and tear that the game takes. There's no reason to play this game. Like, if you want to be cold and cynical about it, I watch what happened after they suspended that game. They ran all those ads. Everybody got their money. Those tickets were sold, right? Like this this isn't a matter of we need to recruit this for financial reasons. And honestly, the consequences of the standings, You'll figure that out. They don't have to play this game, and I don't think they will play this game. Because what are we going to do? Tune in to watch this game and think about the fact that we thought we watched somebody die all game long. Like this, it's not a win for anybody. And yeah. I think the league is going to have to look up and recognize there's nothing left for them to do with this game. They need to ask themselves whether or not these two teams are going to be able to play the game they have scheduled on Sunday. Because they're like, hey, okay, well maybe they can get out here and play tomorrow. I don't know about you, but if my coworker had something like that happen to me, dead in front of me, I'm not. Promising you won't come into work for the rest of the week.
0: Uh, Lots more to unpack there as we continue on on the Health and Brush show on Sportsnet 650. We will turn our attention back to the Vancouver Canucks. They have a game tonight, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena against the New York Islanders. Uh, Longtime Islander and current analyst Butch Goring is going to join us next to preview tonight's opponent. And a reminder, we are giving away two pairs of tickets to see the Canucks and Islanders tonight, 7 o'clock, from Rogers Arena. Uh, All you have to do is get a What We Learned in, hashtag it WWL. And add a ticket emoji to your what we learned. What did you learn? I'll open it up to the entire holiday break. What did you learn over the holiday break with regards to sports? Let us know. Make it sharp, make it witty. Catch the attention of Andy Cole. You're going to be selecting not one, but two winners tonight for the two pairs of tickets. This is very true. Uh, so, I selected them at six oh one this morning. Oh, nice. Classic A <laughs> Dog. Classic A Dog. We got a lot more to get to on the show. Uh, Butch Goring is going to join us next for an Islanders preview. Connects Isles tonight. Seven o'clock, Rogers Arena. You can hear it all right here. On your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 729 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Happy New Year, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. First show of the new year. I am Mike Halford. I'm here He is Jason Brough. He's currently ill, but he will be back uh, not too long from now. He's on the mend, folks. Jason Brough is back, and he'll be better than ever, or at the very least, he'll be back relatively soon. Uh, You are listening to the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. It is a Tuesday. Uh, This is your home of the Canucks. Tonight, Rogers Arena, 7 o'clock, Canucks Islanders. Uh, a reminder, you can hear everything you need to hear about this game pre, post, and the actual broadcast right here on Sportsnet 650. We are giving away a pair of tickets to go see the game tonight. The Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Text in your best what we learned and add a ticket emoji to the text, hashtag WWL, and add a ticket emoji. You'll be entered into the grand prize draw to win one of two pairs of tickets to go see the Canucks and Islanders play hockey tonight. Uh, Butch Goring is going to join us in a minute here on the Halford & Bruff Show to take a look at this Islanders team. Before we do that, I need to tell you that Halford & Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in Hour 2 of the program. Hour 2 is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid, Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Finally, uh, we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Van, uh, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. To the phone lines we go, very happy to have our next guest on the program. From MSG Network, Isles Analyst and former Islander Butch Goring here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Butch. How are you? Uh,
5: I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, fairly wide awake, given that it's 10.30 New York time, so my body's still not on Vancouver time, which is okay. Okay. I, one, I want to thank you
0: for taking the time to do this, because I know a lot of other folks that would be coming west and having to get up this early wouldn't put in the time. But, Butch, we appreciate you coming <laughs> on to talk about this Islanders team. Uh, I'm going to throw a big pick picture question at you to start because uh, we don't get to see a lot of the Islanders out on the West coast and in Vancouver. So we've been keeping tabs on the team from afar. Uh, It's been a pretty good year. Thus, thus far 21, 15 and two, the goaltending has been very good with Sorokin and Varlamov. Uh they're in a very competitive division though, these Islanders, that even with that record, it's still just fifth in the hyper competitive Metro Division. Uh, I know I've laid out some of the talking points here, but give us a, an overview, a broad sense of how the Islanders season has been up to this point thus far. Well, I, I think you've capped
5: it off pretty well that uh you know there's not a lot of room for air in the in the uh in, in the conference or the division with the uh where the islanders are taking part and there's just seems like everybody wins every night which i know is impossible but it just seems that way so uh the islanders have been really pretty pretty consistent uh they've played extremely well against i would say the quote quote the better teams in the league and they've struggled a little bit against the lesser teams and and certainly uh you know that's points that uh you know get away from them that uh, they probably may need as the uh season comes uh, down but overall um, you know it's a it's a group that's been together for quite a while uh, and when they play Islander hockey which was against Florida and Pittsburgh they're they're really tough to play against but against the Kraken the other night they, uh, they didn't have a whole lot and uh, although the Kraken been playing very well it was a game that the Islanders needed to win because as you mentioned it's a really competitive division uh, you
0: mentioned playing Islander hockey, and for a long time that was synonymous with Barry Trotz, the former head coach of this team. Uh, that was the biggest change in the offseason going from Trotz to Lane Lambert. Uh, what's been the biggest difference in approach or philosophical uh, adjustments from behind the bench with Lambert, or have there been many big adjustments with Lambert behind the bench?
5: Well, there, There's been a, a, a few subtle, subtle changes. I, I think one of the things Lane wanted to do was get more offense from his defense, and, and he has really done that. I believe they lead the league in goals um so they've they've got up on the play they've been more involved in the play they've hung in there longer you know anybody that's watching the league now knows just how aggressive the defensemen are and they're pinching in the offensive zone and um the islanders weren't a huge pinching team last year so they're much more aggressive uh not only inside the offensive zone but in the neutral zone so that's helped to keep them uh, out of their own zone for longer periods of time so uh, I would say that's the biggest change uh, you know, for for the Isles is just the, the more aggressive nature to try and create more offense.
0: I think it was Alan Vigno, the former Canucks head coach, used to say, you know, show me a good coach and uh, you'll usually see a good goalie that goes right along with him. And that's been the story, I think, partly in New York as well this year, is that Sorokin has been excellent. He's got a 926 save percentage. But when they haven't had Sorokin in net, Varlamov's come in as a very, very capable number two He's got a nine nineteen save percentage. So whoever you've got in net on a nightly basis, it seems like the Isles have had very good and very consistent goaltending this year.
5: Well, I would tell you, bad goaltending gets coaches fired. So yeah, uh, you definitely need a good, you <laughs> definitely need a good goaltender. And yes, that's been the strong point uh, for for the Islanders. Their goaltending has been really good and has allowed them to stay in some games that they probably shouldn't have. So with average goaltending, they they would have a lot less points up on the board. So, yes, Sorokin has been uh, he's been sensational. Uh, he lost five in a row, and I think he gave up about eight goals total in those five games, so uh, it wasn't really on him, and Varlamov, who uh, had a bit of an injury, uh, and I don't know if he's playing tonight, but uh, he really started to find his game just when he got hurt uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, yes, the Islanders' goaltender, uh, you could argue they, they may have uh, you know as best a, a one-two combination as there is in the NHL.
0: Uh, You mentioned that the blue line has been a lot more active, and if you look at the scoring leaders on the blue line, it's pretty evident that they do get a lot of offense from that back end. Uh, Noah Dobson, you know, it's a very highly touted guy, and it seems as though, I don't want to call it a breakout year, but statistically you look at the numbers, and it's a guy that's playing 20 minutes a night but really racking up the offense. Um, What's been the change in his game, or is this just the maturation of a player that always
5: had high expectations and now he's coming closer to meeting them? Well, he is a former first-rounder and a couple of Memorial Cups under his belt, so I, I think everybody was pretty optimistic that he was going to be a, a very good player in the National Hockey League. And uh, The Islanders took their time with him. They, they didn't overuse him, put him into tough situations. For the first, really, two, three years, they gave him a lot of opportunities just to kind of grow with the game, and he had some good coaching for, with Barry Trotz and Lane Lambert, and also he played with uh, with with Green and, and uh and... Shara. For uh, for a couple of years, so two experienced defensemen that really helped Noah just sort of learn his way through or navigate his way through the National Hockey League. So last year we saw a big jump in uh, in his play and 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 his ice time, and uh, so he uh, took advantage of it and he just continues to grow. Uh, he's uh, you know he's got tremendous hockey sense, really good skill, and uh, I, I would say that he's got room for improvement in the defensive zone. Uh, but he's very, very capable, played really well uh, thus far for the Islanders. So uh, tremendous upside for him, and uh, he continues to trend in the right direction.
0: Uh, As it pertains to tonight's game, it's obvious you want to look back on the previous nights or the previous game. For the opponent, you alluded to it briefly there. The Islanders had a three game win streak snapped uh, in Seattle against the Kraken, a 4 1 loss. Uh, Real quick for the listeners that might not have had a chance to take that one in, uh, what went right, or more specifically, what what went wrong, not necessarily what went right for the Islanders, what went right for the Kraken, what went wrong for the Islanders in that 4 1 defeat in Seattle?
5: Well, the Kraken are a team that, uh, you know, work hard. I mean, uh, you could say they're not the most talented team in the world, but they, they certainly work hard. They play very well at home. And they just outworked the Islanders. I mean, the Islanders just did not have any jump. And I don't know whether it was one of those games where, the you know, nobody has any legs and it's a team effort uh, uh, but it wasn't a, certainly wasn't a very uh, good effort for the Islanders. Very disappointed, really. You you go on a four game road trip. You you know you've got to win some games on this road trip because of the division you're in and how difficult it is to make up points. So, a uh, very, diff- uh, very different a very different team than I played at home. Uh, but as I mentioned here previously, I mean the Islanders for whatever reason haven't played as well against teams that they should be able to uh, to find a way to win or certainly very capable of uh, beating. But, uh, you know, they've got Vancouver, as you mentioned, tonight, and uh, I expect them to play a very strong game. Uh, Just just that they rebound very well, but uh, this is a team that uh, is very tight, uh, been together a long time, and understand the value of points uh, even at this time of the year.
0: You mentioned that this team has been together for a long time, veteran-laden. There's a lot of guys that know the system, and they've had success – uh, with the Islanders, including those two deep playoff runs prior to last season where things kind of went off the rails and they missed the postseason. So assuming the goals have been reestablished that they want to be a postseason team, uh, they're right knocking on the door of that second wild card spot right now. If you were to look ahead and maybe try and figure out what Lou Lamorello may or may not do, what would be something atop the Islanders shopping list if they
5: were going to add going into the deadline? Well, anybody that thinks they know hockey has been talking about the uh, Islanders wanting a goal scorer, which you know, mm. there's a whole handful of there. I mean, I'm sure that Ovechkin's available if we could get him, you know. <laughs> uh, um, but that's, I mean, that that's the thing that's been, you know, talked about uh, for a number of years now. So uh, they're just not easy uh, to find. But you know, the the Islanders, in my opinion, it's it's not an offense that uh, you know they scored enough goals to win hockey games and. Uh, I would say more than anything else is they, they've got to find just more consistency in their in, in their game and uh, uh, maybe be a little bit better in their own zone. That at times when they do struggle, they do seem to struggle in their own zone. But overall, I mean, uh, you know, they dominated Florida and they dominated Pittsburgh. And uh, when you play like that, and, and uh, for anybody who didn't watch the game, I mean, they played with such energy and. And they didn't just win the game. I mean, it was it was just a very dominating performance over two very 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 good hockey teams. So, uh, can they make the playoffs? Yes, if they play like that, on, you know, on more often than not. Uh, but if they, you know, bring in those Seattle Kraken games uh, a few too often, uh, then, then they're not. So, I, I don't necessarily think that they won't make the playoffs because they don't have a goal score. I just think they won't make it because they didn't play consistent enough. It is the Canucks, and it is the
0: Islanders. Tonight, 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena. Reminder, we're giving away two pairs of tickets to see the game tonight. Butch, thank you very much for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. Have a good call, and enjoy the rest of the Western Canadian road swing.
5: Yeah, thanks a lot. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks. Th- well. You too. Thanks. That's Butch Goring from MSG Network here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 6. The Isles in action tonight against the Canucks. A reminder, if you want to get your hands on those tickets – It's what we learns. Hashtag it WWL, and add a ticket emoji to your what we learned. You'll be entered into the grand prize draw to win not one but two pairs of tickets to see the Canucks and the Islanders tonight. Okay, are you guys ready to engage in some more JT Miller discourse? Because that's what we're about to do here in your home of the Canucks. No, no, six fifty. No, no. So look, um, it's a. I guess it's a meme on Twitter when they talk about the main characters that the goal of Twitter is to never be the main character. And if you are, it means you done, screwed up. Correct. Right? That's the general consensus there. Uh, in, in a Canuck sense, JT Miller over the last 96 hours has become the main character. There's a lot of other stuff going on in Vancouver. Don't get me wrong. Uh, there's a pair of losses to end 2022 in Winnipeg and Calgary that further sunk the team and had Thomas Drantz, who we're going to have coming up on the show at 8 o'clock, ask the questions, are the Canucks mid are they mid? Am I using this they're term correctly? They're definitely not lit. Are I'm, they mid? I believe he
1: said they were in the mushy middle. I don't know. Right. think he said mid.
0: He did in the
2: article. In the, the article. He specifically asked, oh, are oh. the Canucks mid? Unfortunately, they are, and I wish they were lower than mid so we could get Connor Bedard, but unfortunately, they're mid. They're too mid. They're too mid for Bedard.
0: So we're looking at this JT Miller situation, saying all this other stuff going on. He really has become... Uh, the focal point of the conversation. And we'll get into this more in what we learn. but I am curious to get some feedback from the listeners as we throw through some of these questions regarding Miller. How frustrated are you right now with how this has played out since the time Miller signed his contract to where we are right now? Uh, With regards to Canucks management, do they really believe everything that they are saying publicly about JT Miller? I ask this because... In the wake of everything that JT Miller has said and the Hockey Night in Canada panel has said and what has been written and what has been talked about, even on this show, uh, Jim Rutherford met with the media on Monday to kind of give an update on where the organization thinks things are at with regards to Miller playing the center position, the demands of that position. And Rutherford kind of wanted everyone to preach or wanted to, he preach patience. He wanted everyone To be patient. The quote is, uh, it's a work in progress. This is what Rutherford stressed. Uh, Every time anybody tries to do anything, we want it done yesterday, but there's a process. I'm not complaining about this, but there have been a lot of line changes with JT going back between center and then wing. Uh, He was very conscious and sure there are mistakes that are fixable, and he's willing to do it. Uh, Rutherford then went on to allude to Sidney Crosby in Pittsburgh, how he was always one of the great all-around players, but after winning Prior to winning the Cups in 2016 and 2017, Crosby's 200-foot game became, quote-unquote, more responsible. Now, a lot of people bristled at this notion. A lot of people pushed back on this assessment publicly. And I think a lot of people were saying, look, this is too savvy a hockey market to try and trot out that particular line of reference. And bringing up Crosby as a guy who, quote-unquote, learned the 200-foot game to become uh, an elite dominant number one center. Like Crosby was that before he won the cup. As a matter of fact, he won a cup in 2009, and his 200-foot game seemed plenty competent at that point. I think a lot of people also are saying, really? Patience and learning this at 29 with a guy you made this kind of investment for what are we talking about In
2: here? In year 7 of his deal, he'll be there. I I promise you by year 7 he'll be good to go. What
0: was your response upon hearing what Rutherford had to say and what management is putting forth with regards to JT Miller?
2: Well, just that it's it it, it Sometimes I think Rutherford doesn't understand the market that he's— like, we've been patient for nine years. Yes. Like, this market has been patient for a very long time. They've been through a lot of hardship. This is a very smart, savvy, as you said, hockey market. Like, this isn't the Carolina Hurricanes. You can't come out here and publicly say this kind of stuff and not expect listeners, viewers, readers to push back and be like, okay, come on, we're not idiots here. We know what's going on. Just tell us what it is and what you're going to do about it without having to give us a song and dance routine, because that's just what it looks like to me.
0: Laddie, what about the possibility of this? Did the Canucks management group make a huge commitment in the summer, and now, six months later, have realized that it's blowing up in their faces, and they refuse to admit it?
1: Uh, I don't think we're at that point yet. I still think it's a salvageable situation. It's a lot of time to figure it out (laughs) if they want to keep him for the length of his contract. But, you know, have you learned anything since age 29? I feel like I've grown a little bit. Mm -hmm. I feel like... Not me.
2: I've grown uh, Maybe not a dog.
1: (laughs) But I feel like you could teach... Maybe they just need the right approach, the right effective coach to get him to play the right way. Do you guys think Miller is capable of playing, quote-unquote, the right way?
0: My biggest issue right now is that everything he says publicly about uh, his approach with regards to passion and emotion and grumpiness is I am what I am and I don't see myself changing. That mentality would freak me out a little bit that this is a guy that's amenable to a ton of change anywhere, right? Like, I, I, you know, I think at certain times he's probably the type of alpha that is like, I got here and I scored 99 points last year doing what I do and knowing what I know. And I get that saying publicly is one thing. Doing on the ice is an entirely different thing. Like, do you, okay, here's another one for you guys to answer. Do you think the Canucks honestly believe that they can turn a 29-year-old guy into a two-way center with, quote-unquote, just a little time?
2: I mean, as Laddie was, with a, with a, a coach that preaches defense first, with a different coach, I imagine it would help him a little bit and he might begrudgingly. Have to play more responsibly defensively, but I don't think I, I don't, he's not that kind of player, though. So I still don't think it'll change him as a player. At his core, he is what you see. Like he's twenty nine. This is the guy that he is. He's not really going to be changing. A, def, a defensive minded coach might help a little bit, but I don't think it's going to solve the problem. This
1: might scare some people, but with, with a guy like <clears throat> Miller, I guess it, it might get worse before it gets better. Oh. <laughs> Honestly, like it, it, it might take a scenario where it really blows up before it sinks into him that, you know, I, I need to make some major changes. Cause like you said, his attitude with the media so far doesn't suggest that he's open or willing to make a heck of a lot of changes to his
2: game. I said it before, bench him for a game. Just see what happens. But just one game. I you don't mean think I like don't scratch him. Yeah. I don't think, yeah, I, I think Boudreau will do it. I don't think he, he's got the guts to do it. But I think that would make JT be like okay you know what maybe there are parts of my game here that I got to work on I don't have Demco bailing me out anymore and no 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 uh, offense or anything to Demco like that I mean yeah. but it's just last year a lot of the defensive warts were bailed out by Demko's pretty much Vesna caliber performance. So we don't have that this year. We don't have that superstar goaltending to bail out the way Miller is playing. Mm-hmm. So he's not going to get that that level of forgiveness on the ice anymore.
0: Now, what what you're proposing is a big deal. It is, however, and I don't know if it would change things. I don't know if it would fix the problem.
2: But I'd be curious to see what would happen. Okay. Well,
0: it. one uh, other players have been held to account when their play, when their play hasn't been up to snuff. Sure. right? I mean, the healthy scratches right now we've run through them a million times garland kuzmenko i yeah. uh, remember brock gotta besser? Be besser yeah brock besser was dangerously close before he eventually got back in the lineup there have been guys high profile guys that have been held to account not to this level that would be a different and given the combustibility with his personality and everything that would be something to consider for sure i mean that's i think i think they should do it this, just one game but it's out there it's in the ether and you know right now We do have to mention that in terms of message sending and Boudreau trying to take more command and holding guys to account, uh, it's worth noting that at Monday's practice, JT Miller was basically a third-line center between Sheldon Dries and Connor Garland, if I'm not mistaken. So that's a pretty public declaration that we're not happy. And again, this isn't just about the situation with Colin Delia against Winnipeg. Uh, A lot of people were critical of the way Miller played in the Saturday loss, New Year's Eve, Hockey Night Canada in Calgary, where he kind of loafed it on a back check and then took a bad change along with Bo Horvat, that basically was uh, a result or a byproduct leading to two Calgary goals. So there's been a stimulus there. There's been a response from Boudreaux. Here's another question that I'll throw out to the listeners and I'll throw it to you guys as well. That involves math, so please pay attention. Um, what percentage of this fan base is happy that the Vancouver Canucks extended JT Miller six months ago. Percentage of the fan base that's happy I mean, most of them about the JT live in, Miller. I think most extension.
2: of them probably live in Ottawa. and are probably on some sort of convoy right now. I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> How many? What <Well>, percentage, honestly? <laughs> I, still I don't
2: think know. it's like a thirty
1: percent. I I'm yeah. still seeing some support. Oh yeah. And and people backing up they like the passion. They like the fact that yep. he Plays with has the yeah. yeah. I just think it's it's being directed in the wrong areas. It's being directed at his own teammates. It's being directed in hissy fits. It's not being directed and funneled the proper way. It's losing it's, games. Yeah.
0: Everyone's biggest concern when the deal was signed was what? It was going to age poorly, right? Yeah. That was it. I think everyone had at least the tempered expectation that and, I mean, he's not even in the contract this year. He's still in the last year of his previous contract. Know, right? But the early stages would be okay. Yeah, you
2: get two or three good years out of him, point-a-game yeah. player.
0: Um, so that is where the real intrigue for me comes in, is that it has started poorly. Like, I would like to know if anyone thinks that the immediate aftermath of the Miller extension has been good. Has, has there been a positive? I guess he's got 30 points in 37 games, right? Yeah, people will point to that. That has to be said. But right now... Uh, Miller <laughs> leads the team in turnovers, and he's taken the third most minor penalties on the team. Those are just the raw boxcar counting stats. Eye test-wise, there's a lot of people that have pointed to a number of occasions where uh, his effort is back-checking, his defensive awareness, his puck management has been questionable. So now I've already pointed to three different things. The fourth, and the real kicker for a lot of people, is the attitude and the public persona and the way that he goes about his business and conducts himself and a lot of people are saying even the most ardent Canucks fans and the biggest supporters and the biggest optimists are saying I like the guy I like his fire I like his passion I like the fact he can score points but it's a lot of crap that you got to put up with to get it
2: I think the drama is what has made a lot of people turn against him if that's even the right way of saying it I I still think there's a, a good chunk of the Canucks fan base that like the way Miller plays on the ice, regardless of his defensive warts, and they like the hard-in-the-sleeve mentality. But it's all the drama around him that he himself creates that I think has turned a lot of people away. Well, it's like from when Bruff's here, right? Like, he's good, he's talented, he, he
1: contributes <laughs> but a lot. So much but, drama. It's <laughs> drama. It's just working with him can be greating sometimes.
0: <laughs> so much drama. It is interesting to bring up the drama aspect of this though. Like, if you take
1: the
2: drama out
0: of it, I think there would be a
2: lot more forgiveness for Miller's bad defensive play. But I think it's what he himself has inflicted upon on himself with his comments and and his on ice performance uh, outside of the bad defense stuff uh, is made people go, okay, come on, man, what are you doing here? Like
0: the team's already bad. You're not helping here. Well, that's the thing is that I know he's saying like this stays between us and I don't really care what the outside world has to say, but there's a lot of people in the outside world that are talking about it, and it is not in a positive manner. And this isn't just collective Vancouver media. Yeah, it's all over the league now. Can can you pull the audio? This is the Hockey Night in Canada panel, and I know BX has got a special tie to Vancouver, so it's a little different. But, I mean, the Miller situation uh, is resonating well outside this tiny Vancouver bubble that we live in. Look, Bo Horvath's talked about how difficult it is to play in Vancouver. It's why they kind of took the unusual steps to shut down any further conversation uh, about... His future in the city. Horvat actually said after the weekend game against Calgary, talking about the Miller situation, that it's tough doing what Miller does and being as demonstrative as he is because this is the exact quote from Bo Horvat. It's tough because, again, people notice the video is on you. And People are noticing well beyond Vancouver as well. Let's play the audio from Saturday Night Hockey Night in Canada. This is Ron McLean, Kelly Rudy, Kevin Bieksa, and Elliot Friedman talking about JT Miller's play, the demonstrative nature, and where people are at in terms of assessing and analyzing it.
5: I think the concern in Vancouver, Kelly, is that that's not the first time it's happened. I right. think I think everybody can understand you having a bad night or a bad day. We all have them. It's just too often. It it has to stop. Worst part is I really like him. I think he's valuable, but Mm -hmm. you can't do those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And is it true, Elliot, that they've kind of thrown in their chips with him as opposed to Bo Horvat? Look, they signed him. Uh, He got a seven-year deal. I think at this point in time, everybody's sitting here saying it would be extremely surprising if they could find a way to get Horvat done. And a lot of ways, I still Mm. can't believe it, Ron. Mm. I don't think you can easily move away from top centers in this league, but that's where we're going. You want to know I
3: can't. Well, I mean, I can't defend that. I defended the the first one in the pregame because I think I
2: think
0: you can be hard on your teammates, and I think if you're a 500 team and you're you're mediocre, I, I like the fire and I like the passion, but certainly mm-hmm. you got to back it up with your work ethic. So I, I yeah. can't defend that. And the end quote was really the kicker, right? As BX has said, look, what happened in Thursday night in Winnipeg, I can defend that, but then to follow it up with what happened Saturday night in Calgary, I can't defend that, and it is going to be. A very polarizing and ongoing discussion and debate because right now in this market, even how frenzied and how dysfunctional the the coverage and the fandom can be with regards to the Vancouver Canucks, uh, JT Miller is currently the main character. And a lot of the reason he's the main character is because he's auditioned for the role, right? He's put himself in that role. He's done it, and he's very defiant and non-apologetic about the actions and the antics that have put him in that spot. So he's got it, and now we get to figure out where it's going to go from here. It begins again, starts anew as basically a third-line center tonight as the Canucks take on the Islanders' 7 o'clock Rogers Arena. Speaking of tonight's game, uh, we will look ahead to that and talk more JT Miller coming up next with Thomas Drance from The Athletic and, of course, the Canucks conversation – sorry, Canucks talk – I get my Canucks shows mixed up here. Uh, Canucks talk right here on Sportsnet 650. Thomas Drance will join us next. Uh, that's coming up in the final hour of the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.